evening to you. Good to see you all here tonight. Stand with me, would you? As we sing our first song, 431, Save, Save, Save. Lift it up tonight as we sing. I've found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I love to tell how he lifted me and what his grace can do for you. Say, singing my sins are gone you ask me why I'm happy so I'll just tell you why you ask me why I'm happy so I'll just tell you why because my sins are gone and when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are I say my sins are Sea of God's forgetfulness, it's good enough 
seated now as we sing these last two verses. It's always the other way around, right? Usually you're seated and I make you stand on the third verse now. When Satan comes to tempt me and tries to make me doubt, I say, my sins are gone. You got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. I'm glad my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary. As far back when I was a little kid. Our family sang that. Our kids did. So it was kind of fun to sing that tonight. So anyway, all right, Brother Lynn. Amen. Appreciate those songs. Well, welcome back tonight. Hope you had a great afternoon. I hope you got some rest in. But uh, we praise the Lord how God blessed this morning. Amen. And I wanted to give you an uh, update. Uh, the woman who made a response during the invitation at the end, uh, she gloriously got saved. And uh, Jenny said it was very precious. Yeah, give God a hand. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, Jenny said she was ready. And I could just tell, that's not a normal response of a pastor. I uh, don't normally press like that, but you could just tell the Holy Spirit was all over her. And uh, so thankful that she made that uh, eternity-affecting decision. Amen. Uh, so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, very thankful how God blessed this morning. But to be honest with you, uh, we are expecting great things tonight. Amen. And a very uh, much uh, looking forward to what God's going to do in the service this evening. Looking forward to hearing from Brother Matt. Uh, he's one of my uh, favorite preachers. I'm sure he's also yours. And so we're looking forward to hearing from him. But we want to ask God's blessing upon our gathering tonight. Let's go ahead and do that uh, right now. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to gather tonight. Uh, we thank you for the songs, Lord. They really stood out to me just now just because they were so gospel-based. And, Lord, a very important thing happened today. We got to see the Holy Spirit uh, move in a person's heart, Lord. I know that I had a bird's eye view, and Lord, I saw the conviction. I saw the the, the, the uh, wooing of your Holy Spirit in her life, and thank you so much that she took that courageous step. And uh, Lord, she put her faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, I want to pray right now, Lord, uh, this big of a crowd, there might be someone who's knowledgeable that they're unsaved or maybe struggling whether they are saved. And I pray, Lord, that they would make the decision, Lord, to talk to someone that they could know without a doubt that their sins are forgiven. Lord, they're right with you and on their way to heaven. We would pray that you would do that. Lord, again, we thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful how you blessed us this morning. We know you're not done. Lord, we've come with expectancy. And uh, Lord, we're looking forward to hearing your word preached here in a moment. We ask God your blessings. Lord, I also want to lift up a few. Uh, Lord, tonight, I pray for Brother Don Howarth, Lord, as he is getting ready for the bypass uh, surgery for Wednesday. I ask God your grace in his life. Lord, I pray that you would be with uh, Beth Creeble and the family, uh, with her dad uh, passing away this past Friday night. I ask God for grace and strength there. 
And then, Lord, we thank you for our dear pastor. Thank you, Lord, for the, the time he had down in Tampa just to get his jets refueled, Lord, being at the GIBF meeting. And then, Lord, being able to be used as a blessing there at Oakwood Baptist Church in South Carolina at the couples retreat. And then, Lord, be able to have him preach this morning, this evening, uh, there for the congregation. Just ask God your blessings upon him. I know he's preaching right now. Just ask God that you would use him greatly. Uh, Lord, we'll give you the praise ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, remain seated as we sing Ferris, Lord Jesus, page 503 if you need your books. song so you bear with me as we sing that one so this one i know till the storm passes over lift it up tonight as we sing in the dawn
time Satan whispered there is no need to try for there's no end of sorrow there's no As we sing on the last verse now, when the long night is ended and the storms come no more, let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore in that land where the tempest Of singing, you may be seated.
I sure am glad that we're getting our money's worth out of Brother Matt today. Uh, he was a soloist this morning, he's a pianist, and tonight he's a preacher, and afterwards he's going to be cleaning the pews, so please make sure you pick up after yourself, but uh, we're very thankful to have Brother Matt tonight. Go ahead and welcome him to the pulpit tonight, all right? Got props. All right. Uh, I'm going to tell you two stories, and I want to be very clear about these stories tonight, that these stories are mainly made up. Okay, uh, most of it's fiction, but there are some elements that may or may not be inspired uh, by true events. But I want to be very, very clear tonight: um, nothing that in any of these stories represent any potential true events or true characters that you know. Okay, so if there might be. I don't know, some type of illusion uh, to a, a person or a situation. I don't want y'all to be sitting there the whole time thinking, he's talking about, you know. <laughs> it's not happening tonight. Uh, maybe later, but, but, but not right now. Um, I, I, the, all of this, the, the things in the story are probably uh, made up, but some might be true. Another thing, um, I'm going to draw a little bit. I want to lower everyone's expectations way down about what's going to happen, okay? If you uh, go to junior church, stuff like that, you've seen me maybe draw a little bit, and you know I don't draw at all. So if your expectation is something, bring that down to zero, and, and, and we'll see what we're going to do. Uh, here's our first story tonight. I'm going to use this, and believe it or not, <laughs> what you're going to see uh, done has been practiced. That's how embarrassing this. Okay, we're going to tell you about a church, a church uh, great church. Baptist church. Uh, pastor loves God. Youth pastor is a stud. <laughs> Again, this is not true. This is not here, okay? Um, and there's a family. There's a family in this church uh, that has several kids, and of the kids is a daughter. And this daughter's name, we're going to call her Susan. It's not her real name. Or is it? You don't know. Uh, Susan is a senior, and Susan has been very, very committed uh, to the church, to the youth group. She attends lots of events, and, and she does everything she can to be a part of the church. Reads her Bible, does lots of, of really good things, is a, a blessing to her family. But Susan, being uh, the, the beautiful, talented girl that she is, finds someone that likes her. A guy, uh, a dreamboat, if you want to say. Uh, this guy's got it all. He wears boots, drives a truck, and has a goatee. Every girl's dream, right? <laughs> Everything that, that a girl could want. And, 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 and she's excited because she's found love and everything. Uh, all of her dreams are coming true. And the parents, oh, I messed it up bad. <laughs> oh, this is going to be rough. Uh, basically, um, the parents are excited because this guy, he's, he's, he's not terrible, you know? And, and, and the dad's like, hey, it could have gone way worse. He seems nice, uh, doesn't treat my daughter with disrespect, uh, comes to church with us. Best part of all is he says he's a Christian. That's exciting, Right? If you're a parent and you've got a teenage daughter, you're probably hoping that 
she wants to marry somebody that is also a follower of God, right? I mean, I, I hope we're starting there, okay? Um, and, and when you first meet this guy, uh, he seems nice enough. Seems like he's, uh, he's, 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 he has good hygiene, remember? The goatee, all that. Things are going good, but the, the, it, it, it's not as if he, he, he goes to uh, a Baptist church. They're actually not really sure what church he comes from, uh, but, but they are just at least excited that, hey, this person says they're a Christian. Well, he starts coming to services at this Baptist church, and the youth pastor notices that he's not really paying great attention during the lesson. If anything, he kind of has a scowl on his face during the lessons, and it, he's just not very, very tuned in. And then eventually Sue's boyfriend starts talking to her, and it's like, look, I, I don't know much about this church, but this doesn't seem right. Things that the preacher and the youth pastor are talking about, it just seems outdated. It seems just a little bit extreme. Uh, stuff that, like, all, all the talk about, you know, God having something to say about your life and sin and all that stuff and all these rules, it just seems really legalistic. And I don't think God's really like that. I, I feel like God is love and God... Uh, wants everybody to be happy and, and is, our, is our greatest champion and wants us to have success. Uh, and and what, what your preachers are talking about, it, it just seems negative. It doesn't, it doesn't seem positive. Well, what happens is, is Sue starts to listen to her boyfriend and he, he starts to make some points and he's like, hey, maybe our, our church is kind of dumb and ridiculous on how extreme it can be sometimes. Uh, all this stuff should really be about hope and love, and that's what church should really be about. Maybe we should check out a different church. And we're going to go to a church that's more encouraging, more positive, and more uplifting. And they start doing that, and they, they leave this church. Fast forward a few years, and the daughter comes back to the parents and is like, look, I want nothing to do with the church that I grew up with. It's legalistic, has primitive beliefs, and I don't have anything to do with something that tells me who to love, how to behave, how to live, that condemns other people's beliefs, that talks about terrible things like hell, or has, has, has implications on, on how we view culture and society. we rather go to somewhere else that loves us that cares about us, that makes us encouraged. In fact, that's what Christianity is really all about. His parents are surprised. Goodness, Sue, what happened? You used to be on fire. You used to love the word of God. And now she's something totally different. And the other siblings, the younger siblings of Sue, they start to watch and think, well, maybe Sue's right and mom and dad are wrong. Maybe... Christianity should look a little bit different than the way we're being taught. Okay? Church number one. And I'm going to come over here and I'm going to draw another incredible picture. But because I'm creative, we're going with the color purple. Okay? Y'all ready? Story number two. Story number two is another Baptist church in the same area. Loves God. Loves, the, loves uh, scripture. Uh, does, the, just like you and I, a, a great church that is committed and, and bought in. 
And there's a different set of characters here at this church. This church has who we're going to call Mr. and Mrs. Trustee. Not their real names. That would be ridiculous. Mr. and Mrs. Trustee, they've been going to this church for a really long time. They, and they, they love church. For the past 30 years, I mean, they're a little bit older. And so they've really dug roots into this church. They are bought in. And they have no questions about the things that Sue was talking about. They are not interested in another watered-down version of Christianity. They are not concerned about keeping up with the trends or, or stuff like that or having an appealing version of the faith that doesn't offend anybody. That's not them at all. No, they are bought in when it comes to the stances and beliefs of this church. But there's something else about Mr. and Mrs. Trustee. These guys are jerks. Everybody hates Mr. and Mrs. Trustee. The reason why is because Mr. and Mrs. Trustee think they own the church. And nothing goes by or no changes happen unless Mr. and Mrs. Trustee give their sign of approval on it. They're plugged in lots of areas. Mr. Trustee works with security. He runs the soundboard as well. Does lots of things. Teaches a Sunday school class for the adults. And Mrs. Trustee, well, she works in the nursery and she's kind of in charge of all of that. And you have these two people that are very, very plugged in. And, and, and they love their church, but they hate people. Because anybody that gets in their way that messes up their ministry, that disrupts the flow, that has a different opinion of them, they are wrong and they are messing with their church. Worst part, they hate the new youth pastor. They don't like him at all. They don't like new guys. They don't like new guests. Heaven forbid somebody take their spot in the pew. One time, a lady suggested that they change the nursery schedule just a little bit to make it more efficient. And the trustee's wife never spoke to her ever again. The trustee was offended that the youth pastor didn't like his idea for VBS. And because of that, now Mr. Trustee is telling everybody he can that uh, youth pastor guy, idiot, dummy, the worst of the worst. And they, they are committed to the faith and all of that, but nobody wants to serve them with them. Nobody wants to be around them. If anything, Mr. and Mrs. Trustee, you can kind of look at them and say, the reason why the church isn't growing and isn't hospitable and isn't loving is because these people think that the church belongs to them. No one wants to be around them. And Mr. and Mrs. Trustee don't want to be around anybody else because they don't want to share any of the power that they have in the church or any of the credit. They love this church, but it's theirs. Now, got two churches here. We've got the blue church, and we've got the purple church. And many of you are thinking a couple of things. One, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> I've described two very different situations, right? I've described one that re reveals a, a problem about a church or a family, a person, that gave way to false teaching. A girl who was convinced that maybe the way she was taught about God could be wrong. And there was a better way to do it. This church has an issue and has been vulnerable to deception. Now this church is, is in a very different situation, but also very, very serious. The problem here is that it is facing a problem of division. 
Well, you've got somebody who's got a big pride problem, a big ego that thinks that they are the most important person in the room and anything that gets in the way is a threat to them. So two issues, okay? We've got one church that is facing an issue of, of they're, 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 they're alliterated, deception, division. Uh, what are we going to do? Deception, contention. That's going to help my brain separate, okay? We've got deception over here. They're, they're, they're buying in to, to false doctrine. It is infiltrating the, the, the teenager, the family, and potentially the church. And then you've got on this side a church that is struggling with another issue that seems very, very disconnected, but a very serious issue, serious issue of division, of infighting, of drama. Now, you might be thinking, why are these two connected? Well, it's because I want to give you the names of these churches. And again, these are not the real names of the churches. But this church's name is Second John Baptist Church. Okay? Which church is this? <laughs> okay, all right. And over here, oh, almost said the wrong color. Got purple. Third John. Baptist Church. Because the reason why I tell you these stories is because the issues of, of, of these situations, they might sound familiar to some of you. Not because you remember them from these stories, but because if you've been in church long enough, you may have been in a church that dealt with this issue, where you saw a teenager fall away to an easier version of Christianity that doesn't tell them what to do, or a youth pastor that maybe you know of that wanted the esteem of famous celebrity preachers and decided this would be a better way to go about his ministry for future success. And maybe you've also been in a church, oh, I don't know, where there was some drama. Maybe there was somebody who thought they were all that and made everything about themselves, didn't want to give up any of the power, made it all about themselves, whether it be a, a pastor at a different church or a church member. They're, these are situations that I feel like churches like ours and Christian churches are, are, have to deal with. False teaching, deception, division, contention. And the reason why I call these, name, these churches 2nd and 3rd John is because that's where I want to go tonight. We're going to look at these two small books of the Bible. Now, one of the reasons why I like 2nd and 3rd John is because whenever when I was a kid and I was going to get in trouble for not doing my Bible reading, I would real quick read two books of the Bible, 2nd and 3rd John. It, was, it made me feel good. like, hey, I read two old books of the Bible. I am back on track. It would be a nice way to get everyone to, to leave me alone. And they were easy because they were right next to each other. Uh, sometimes, maybe some of you in your Bible, you've got them all on the same page. Maybe you have them split apart like I do. But these two books, you're going to notice a couple of things. Well, they're, they're written by the same person, but they also look very similar. Just by an eye glance, you've got verses, three 13 verses in 2 John, and you've got 3 John with 14 verses. As you continue to read these two books, you'll see that a lot of them, uh, these two books have a lot in common. They, they have basically the same ending. The intros are very, very similar, but the contents describe a version of these two events. Now, to understand why we have 2 John and 3 John, I have to back up a little bit and tell you what's happening right now. 
In, in the life of John, John is uh, the, the apostle John, the, the disciple, uh, the one that Jesus loves. Uh, he is responsible, o- o- overseeing a lot of the home churches in Ephesus. Lots of groups of believers that, that are meeting in homes. And there's a problem. When these books are written, including 1 John, there has been some deception. Now, I'm not going to get very, you, you can do just some research on this, but uh, basically there's a group of people that broke off from the groups of believers that were in Ephesus, and they started pursuing something called Gnosticism. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a weird word, and it's a very hard to understand worldview, but basically what Gnostics believed is that Jesus wasn't human, that the version of the Gospels that Matthew, James, and, and John portray, uh, or, 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 or the Gospels portrayed, all of this version of Jesus isn't really true. They had this elitist mentality of themselves that thought that they were spiritually elite and understood the real meaning of what it meant to be spiritually, uh, like, woke, right? Elite. And, and they had left the believers in Ephesus to pursue this new way of thinking. Now, 1 John, we're not going to cover 1 John. 1 John is basically a sermon, a sermon that was handed up to all of these churches in Ephesus, uh, all, all these groups in, in Ephesus in their homes, and it was basically a response to the problem that was happening because of these Gnostics. These Gnostics were coming around. They had this very aggressive mentality in themselves where they wanted to go around and influence everybody's uh, ideas. They thought that Christians, people that went to church, had the potential to be among the spiritually elite. They were potential. They had potential. So they were being very aggressive trying to get back into these homes and convince these Christians that they should think a different way about Jesus. They were trying to, to, to manipulate these Christians into thinking something else. And so 1 John, you'll see, is John's response to this to everybody all at once. And, and instead of going through all of the book of 1 John, it's a great sermon. Y'all should read it. It's basically this in a nutshell. 1 John is saying, you need to walk in the light of the word and the love of Christ. In response to a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to your beliefs, this is what you need to do. You need to walk in the light of God's word and in the love of Christ. This is the whole sermon. And it goes all over the place, but it's a great sermon. Now, that's what 1 John is about. But what about 2 and 3 John? What are these two little guys doing over here? Now, these two letters are different than 1 John. 1 John was a sermon circulated for everybody. 2 and 3 John are like emails. Imagine this. Imagine you're at your workplace, and then everybody gets a big like, group business meeting, and the boss says, hey, I want us to, rem- to, to, to remind ourselves that you know, we're, we're working together in, in intimate spaces, and, and, and we have a problem about not being conscious of the fact that you're working so close to each other. So I, I just ask everyone to remind yourselves that uh, you, are, you can be smelled by other people and, and, and you, can, you can influence somebody based on what you're wearing and stuff like that. It's a real general thing, right? And then you go to your laptop and there's an email from the boss. And the email says, you need to take a shower, you are filthy, you are disgusting. 
That's kind of an exaggerated version of what's happened here. First John has a sermon for everybody. Hey, in response to the fact that people are trying to target our faith and, and, and cause disruption and hostility in our faith, we need to walk in the light of the word and the love of Christ. And then we've got two emails, two memos, two individual letters written to specific people dealing with a specific case that was happening. So let's look at this. Second John, we'll start with Second John, what happens here. Verse 1. The elder, which would be John, unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, something interesting to do when you're studying these epistles, a lot of times the introduction to these epistles give clues on the entire meaning of the book. You'll see that a lot of times Paul, in his introductions, will include words that hint to the, the, the general theme of the, of the rest of the book. And there's there a word that you see in the first few verses that keeps reappearing in, in, in this. You'll, you'll, you'll notice it happens, I, I believe, five times in the first four verses. And it's the word truth. Let's review. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. He's emphasizing, you I love in the truth. Now, who is this lady that he's writing to in Second John? It's interesting to speculate. There's an interesting theory that the lady that he's writing to is Martha. Now, I do not know if this is true. Some people believe that according to church tradition, but I cannot say that for sure. Honestly, we do not know who this person is, but this person is a mom. Is a mom that probably used her home as a host for believers to congregate. Not a pastor, but probably just a host, someone who had a home. And he says in this, in verse 4 later, he says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. So what do we have in, in the beginning here in Second John? Well, we have, Paul, we have John encouraging, being grateful, being thankful for the, the, the truth that is being embraced by this family. This family, and her, this mom and, and her, her, her kids, probably sons, from what, what study shows, is that they have embraced truth and they're walking in it. So this is, this is a positive thing. Uh, it's, it's a greeting, reoccurring theme of truth and love. A mom who, who John loves, not in a weird romantic way, but in a, in a type of love that is anchored in a common bond, common ground. They both love truth. And they are they are have children who are also walking in the truth. Now, verse 5 through 6. Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. He explains what kind of love he's talking about. That we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now, why is he talking about it's important to, 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 to love each other, to, to walk after the commandments, to, to walk in love? Why is this? Verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world, 
who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, not that we receive, but that we receive a full reward. Now, now go to verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine that he talks about in verse 9, receive him not in your house. Neither bid him Godspeed. Now, it's a simple book. It's pretty clear to us to understand. But in case you kind of got lost, here's what's happening. This church is doing well. This group of people, this, 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 uh, this house is doing well. This mom is walking in truth. Her kids are walking in truth. But he says, it's important that you do this. That you, uh, not, nothing new here. In fact, it's recycled information from 1 John. That you need to love one another. And this is love. That we walk after his commandments. What does that mean? To love truth. To continue to walk in truth. Why? Verse 7. There are deceivers coming. Now, it, it, this is very similar to 1 John. The, the themes of in light of a, of a culture that's attacking you. That is not in favor of your beliefs. You, you need to walk in light of the word of God. And this is basically what's happening here. The, what, what John is saying, hey, this family, that you're doing well, you, you're walking in truth, I'm warning you, you're doing well. It's not like they're doing anything wrong at this point, but there are deceivers coming. And it's important that you not stop protecting yourself and your family and these believers from false doctrine. The truth is that these Gnostics were very aggressive in trying to manipulate the minds of these believers to entice them with a new way of thinking, a more enlightened way of thinking. And John knew that this is a great threat facing the audience here in 2 John. This house is under threat. This house is being targeted by people that do not believe the way that they are supposed to believe. And this is the message here. The message in, in, in 2 John, the, the, this, this idea behind this text, it, it's, it's pretty simple. Guard yourself from deception. Stay out, false teachers. They don't belong here. He's telling mama bear, don't let these boyfriends come to your daughter and try to manipulate their minds into thinking something different. Here's, here's a visual in case that, that this helps. Basically, he's telling uh, 2 John, no trespassing. This is 2 John. No trespassing. Do not let false teachers come in to deceive you. Huh? That's a big task. It's not a very happy thought. We're on guard. He's telling this church. Hey, these people are coming for you to change the way you believe, to change the way your kids think. No trespassing. Now, let's go to 3 John. 3 John is a different audience. But in the same group in the city of Ephesus, there's a new person. Verse 1, the elder unto the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. You'll notice that it, the introduction starts very similarly to uh, 2 John. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Again, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So what's going on in 3 John? Why do they get a letter? 
Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing out of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Here's what's happening. There's a guy named Gaius, and he's doing well. He is doing well because he is a kind, hospitable church member. What was happening at this time is John would send fellow laborers, some missionaries, to be encouraging to these house churches in Ephesus. And Gaius had a reputation of of not being a jerk, of not being unkind, but being very supportive to these missionaries. People would come, these guest preachers would come, and he would take care of them. He would be encouraging them. He would help them financially so they weren't dependent on other places to get money. He was a good man that cared about the people that were coming into this church. He was known for his hospitality. He had a good reputation. But there's a threat. Verse 9. I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes. Gaius is, is doing well. This guy, he's Mr. Trustee. But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Look how he, John describes Diotrephes. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, basically to be antagonizing, to say biting remarks, to be nagging. And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Here's what's happening. Gaius is being hospitable. He's being kind. But there's another member of the church that thinks the church belongs to him. And he doesn't like it when guest preachers come. He doesn't like it when new guys show up and try to steal his thunder. He loves, according to here, to have premise. To be the best, to be the visible one, to be the one with the power, to be the popular one. And in response to possibilities of people taking the control that he has in this group of believers, he starts talking really unkindly to people. He starts being a jerk. He starts making accusations. He starts to make everything about him. He causes drama. He causes contention. Now, in light of that, verse 11, this is what what is said here. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So what's the main idea here? You've got over here, no trespassing. Guard yourself from deception. Take the threat of false teaching seriously. The other side... There's a different sign for this church. And this sign says, welcome. Be hospitable. Be kind. Don't be a drama-filled church. Don't be a group of believers that makes everything about yourself. That, that, That makes everything about your power and your control. The group of believers don't belong to you. You need to be a church that is welcoming. Well, Why? Because these missionaries weren't false teachers. They believed in good doctrine. The, the contention wasn't because they were trying to keep the church safe from false teachers. It was because there was a personality clash, an ego battle, needless contention. 
And while Gaius was doing well, and he had a good reputation, the letter is written to say, Gaius, beware of a threat that in the midst of the hostile uh, culture towards our beliefs, the same type of situations that 2 John is, is dealing with, the same, the same culture that hates our beliefs, don't forget to walk in truth, meaning you're going to let this be the focus of your life and not it be about power and self and control. Be a welcoming church. Now, you'll notice two stories very, very different. One, John is saying, no trespassing. Don't let the false teachers in. Protect yourselves. And then over here, we've got be welcoming, be hospitable, have a smile on your face. So the question here is, well, which one is it? If we were to look at our church right now, which shine do you think should be on our church? No trespassing? False teachers beware? Should we have a church sign that goes at the front that says, welcome, a nice little welcome mat that says, hey, we love you, we care about you, we're going to be kind to you, we're not going to be jerks to you, we're not going to be arrogant. Which one is the right sign? And my answer to that, and I believe John's answer to that is, yes. A loving church protects itself from false teachers. A loving church also treats people well and with kindness. To think that these two are odds ignores how important the word of truth is. So how does a church keep their no trespassing sign up and their welcome sign up? How do we protect ourselves from false teaching and not be jerks? And the answer is found in 1 John. It's found in the core of this book. It's this. Love truth. A church that loves truth will protect it. And a church that loves truth won't let ego get in the way. Church that loves doctrine, that loves the scripture, will say, I'm not going to compromise when it comes to the gospel, even if it offends somebody on the Ponca City Community Watch. That's not going to change. At the same time, we're not going to go on Facebook and be jerks about it. See it? A loving church can say no trespassing here. And it can also say, and we love you. How? If this is the focus. If this is the focus, we will not be threatened by people that think that we are outdated. But we also won't let our pride and our arrogance get in the way of God's truth. If this leads this church, and we are saying, hey, as a church, what we're going to do, we are going to pursue truth. This matters more than anybody else, more than what people think of me, more than what's convenient, no matter, no matter what. This leads. And so it will shape my attitude, which means I'm not going to think that this church belongs to me and that everything has to be run through me. I'm not going to have the attitude that thinks that this church can't run without me. And if I just left, they would, they would sure miss me. Oh, no one better touch my ministry because this is all me. The word of God takes your arrogance and submits. Like, I don't know the word. It says no. 
for you to think that you are the most important person in the church, that everything belongs to you, that, that this ministry or this friend group or, or whatever is the most important thing. You are the center of everything, that you deserve the preeminence. The Bible says, actually, God's word is the most important. Doesn't matter about your ego. Doesn't matter what, what, what you think needs to be. You being the most popular, you being the most credit, you having the most power. And it also says, even if we offend some people, even if we seem like, like just outdated, not relevant, not positive, not kind, if this leads, we can do both. Here's, here's the basic idea that I, I want to, to propose to you guys. In the midst of a culture that was becoming increasingly hostile to their beliefs, what was the solution for these believers in Ephesus to be protected from deception and division? And this is John's response. Believers and churches can be protected from deception and division by loving the truth, leading with this, no matter what the cost, whether it costs my popularity or whether it costs my power. This is first. I will love this. I will know this. I will be able to articulate this. I will be able to defend this. That is how a church says no trespassing and at the same time, welcome. Uh, uh, loving the, the truth pr protects from deception and division. The church can be protected from deception and division by loving the truth. A church that loves the truth will not tolerate false teaching. And a church that loves the truth will let God's word dictate how they treat their fellow believers. It will humble them. them. It will debase their ego. It will, it will give their pride a place to go away. When truth is the focus, there is no room for ego. And there's no room for a deluded gospel. Because if a, if a believer loves the truth, the truth will be the common ground for believers that don't get along. Because what's more important than our personality differences and our clashes? We love truth. And that will lead our relationships. So, I said a bunch of stuff. And maybe you are thinking, okay, I am this guy. I am not letting anybody in. Great. And maybe you are doing well here. You are a welcoming, positive person. You are a very hospitable person at this church. Maybe there's a possibility that some of us need to grow in these areas. And so to do that, let's talk about do not trespassing. Do you know what we believe and why? This is an important part of our church. If we are going to be a church that keeps out false doctrine, can you explain to somebody why we believe in an, in an actual hell. Can you do it? Or is it just stuff that you've heard before and you don't really know where it's in the Bible or why? If, if you were to be in a discussion about, about the gospel, would you struggle? Would you have a hard time explaining what we as a church believe? If you do, maybe that's an indictment on the fact that we don't love truth the way that we should. Because we are able to talk about what we love. Now, I can explain the Gaither Vocal Band's legacy. 
I can give you all the members, starting with Steve Green and, and, and Gary McFadden and Lee Young and, and, and Bill Gaither, and I can walk through that whole lineage. I can tell you the best ones. Why? I love the Gaither vocal band. They're my guys. I grew up on them, and they're, and they're important. So I can talk about it. I know a lot of y'all love sports. A lot of you love hunting. A lot of you love arts and crafts. I don't know. You, you can talk about stuff you love. Can you talk about our faith? Can you explain why, why we believe what we believe? Can you explain why, why Jesus is the only way as opposed to other faith systems? Why it's one way and not a bunch of ways? How about this? Has false teaching crept into your worldview? Have you found yourself thinking, well, maybe they've got a point. Maybe we do need to be loving to everybody and we shouldn't offend anybody with the gospel. We shouldn't, we shouldn't step on any toes. We shouldn't be uh, like, like unpalatable to society. We should just love everybody and completely ignore the fact that a church that does not speak truth about justice and holiness and hell is unloving. If we believe that, that, that hell is a real place, that kids are going there, even though it might scare them, we have an obligation to say something. It would be unloving for us not to. But has the idea of having a more easy-to-digest Christianity crept into your worldview and made you think, ah, I'm not going to be as aggressive there? How about this? Parents, do you take opportunities to train your children in what we believe? Or are you letting the culture train your kids for you? Do you have conversations with your kids about where we stand on gender issues? Do you have conversations and work through them with your kids? Or are you going to let Disney decide for you? Are you going to let someone else do the training for you because you don't feel like you, you know how to articulate it, you're nervous about saying it, you don't want to come across wrong, you don't want to say it wrong, and what's happening in the, in the, in the situation, you don't want to offend your kids, you don't want to offend your teenagers, and so you're just going to let them do what they do and hope for the best. Are you going to be okay standing for truth when it becomes increasingly, increasingly pop, unpopular for you to do so? I love this church. I, I'm excited for this church. I, do not, I, I would not be surprised if it became a point in Ponca City where coming here wasn't popular. Maybe, maybe, maybe you become, at, at, at some point, the person that goes to Central Baptist Church, like, oh, you go to that church that hates children? Are you going to be okay coming still? Are you going to be okay coming to a church that a culture hates? Are you going to be able to be resilient in that way? Teenagers, is what you believe about relationships or sexuality and behavior, is it shaped by the word of God? Or do you have more, more faith and trust into a talking head that you like or a YouTube or a TikTok personality? Do you care more about what they say about morality than somebody else? A lot, we've been talking a lot about a person that some of you may be familiar with that is really, really popular with teenagers right, right now. His name's Andrew Tate. And it's been interesting to see how Andrew Tate, this, this, uh, he's like a YouTuber he's on TikTok and social media. He's a strong guy who works out a ton. And he's become incredibly popular with kids right now. And the thing is, is some of the stuff he says is right. 
He, he talks about how the culture is feminizing men and there's no, no strong men and men need to work hard and, and, and earn a living and not expect things to be handed to them. And these kids are thinking, yes, that's right. But, but also with that, he comes, comes with a teaching and, and a lifestyle that is completely opposite of what biblical masculinity is supposed to look like. He advocates for infidelity. He says it's not a big deal. He thinks that he has the right to do so if he makes enough money. And here's the problem. I believe that teenagers, your kids, are being shaped by people online and not by the word of God. Because they will train your kids. They would love to train your kids, especially if you don't. Especially if you don't know how. That's why it's important for us to love the truth. Another comment, and I debated saying this. I imagine that a good number of the people here in this church are conservatives. You, you listen to Fox News, you subscribe to the, the Blaze or the Daily Wire. Your favorite guys are Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and all these guys. How about this? Are you more skilled at defending the Second, second Amendment than you are explaining to someone how they can be saved? I'm going to read it again. Are you more skilled at defending the Second Amendment, defending your right to bear arms, you can explain it away. You can talk about the history. You can dissect the entire lining, which is good, and I'm for it. But when it comes to being asked, hey, can, I, can, can, can you be a part of this group that's going to be explaining to kids how they can get saved? And you're like, oh, I don't know. And there was a point when Brother Corn was talking about this in his lesson before the, show, the, the, the shows, and he was talking about how I, he recognizes that there may be believers here in this church that do not feel prepared to share their faith. And there was a point where he's like, if that's the case, you've got growing to do. That was a moment I was like, oh no. But he's right. If we are incapable of explaining basic salvation, but we're very eloquent in other areas, maybe we love other things more than truth. Specifically, this truth. Maybe our priorities are in the wrong way. Now let's talk about the welcoming side. Are you a hospitable church member? Do you know the people in your church? Are you kind to them? Are you critical of them? Do you gossip about them? Are you divided with other church members due to a personality clash or because you have an allegiance of friends on this side and they have an allegiance of friends on this side? Are you enemies with some of the only people in this town that you share a faith with? Are some of you closer with unbelievers than you are with members of your own church? Because you don't want to get to know anybody here. You don't want to meet other people or you feel divided because they annoy you or this or that. Do you go out of your way to greet guests or get to know members? Or are you just comfortable just knowing the people you like and you just want to keep it that way? Do you use your personality traits like being an introvert or not liking people as an excuse to not be kind? Do you use your sarcastic humor as an excuse to be biting and rude? Are you a longtime member that loves this church, but you don't know the names of anybody that's joined the church in the last five years because you have developed your own little network and you have no interest in getting to know anybody else? Are any of y'all the lords of your ministry to where if anyone else tries to give input or, or, or talk about it, or, or, or try to contribute, they feel out of place because they feel like you've got a lock on it, and they can't, they can't serve. 
Do you feel, do you have your thumb on everything and feel like you have to be in control? Do you have an elevated view of yourself to think that this church would not survive without me? That, 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 those, these two areas, dangerous places for us to be. And I believe that as churches, we are under a threat of deception, of, of, of bad ideas infecting our church, infecting our youth. We're also under a threat of thinking that it's all about us. And how we, how we stop that is by embracing this. This leads us. I love truth, and so I will protect this church from ideas that go against this truth. I will love the person that I can't stand because this is more important than my bitterness with this person. This leads first. This is my common ground. Last thing. There was a, uh, the, the magic show happened. There was a girl named Addison. It's the oldest uh, d- daughter of the corn show. You probably saw her on the show. She was part of some of the tricks and stuff like that. Didn't get to spend a lot of time with her. But at the very end of the show, we're cleaning up, and Addison's down here. She's smiling, kind of talking to everybody. And I was like, hey, Addison, didn't you just love performing in front of all of those uh, people? Wasn't that so exciting? And, and she gave a very interesting response. She said, oh, I, I loved it, but I don't love the kidnappers. What? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking the same thing. I don't love the kidnappers. And she's like, well, I love people, and I do love it, but I got to be careful of the kidnappers. And, and she walked off, and I sat there very, very confused. And I started to realize that what she was saying in a kind of an interesting way, it made a lot of sense from Brother David Korn's perspective. I was thinking about it, because if you watch the show, they, they are in churches all the time. New faces all the time. They're not around people that they know on a, on a, on a, on a, on a close thing. Like, in, in, in these churches that they're, they're in, they're, there's visitors coming in all the time. The kids are often on the, in the front here. There's people they don't know. It can be kind of chaotic. And I'm starting to realize, no, that, that's important because Brother Corrin's telling Addison, you have to be careful here. You have to be careful because Brother Corrin is doing all of these tricks. And the truth is, there could be threats to her safety. Now, is he a, a mean parent for doing this? Does he hate his daughter? No, he loves his daughter. The, the reason, the, the, he, it would be unloving for him to say, hey, do whatever you want. Go shake hands with anybody. Go jump in anybody's cars. It doesn't matter. What I loved about this, this illustration here with Addison is that I saw a girl that, that was excited to be in front of people. It wasn't like a, stay away. She, she wasn't being, a, being cruel or mean to anybody. But at the same time, she had been taught, no trespassing. We are going to be protected. And if you love your church, you'll want to protect it by pursuing truth. If you love your church, you will let this, this lead your relationships. If you love your church, you will love his word, and that will guard you from deception and division. You do that by leading with this. It's the only loving thing that we can do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much uh, for this passage and these uh, two books of the Bible on how it gives us relevant uh, reasons for us to pursue your word so that our church avoids division and contention. Lord, I ask that uh, this evening, 
as we ponder your pa- the passage here, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to reflect on how we may be vulnerable. Maybe we are not pursuing your word like we should. We don't understand doctrine like we should. And maybe we, f- we are also on the other side where we're unkind to fellow church members, that we are a source of contention, that we are a source of division. Lord, I ask that all of us would consider how can we love your word more so that we can protect our loved ones, our family, this church, from wrong ideas creeping in and also protect our church from unnecessary drama that is just fed by ego. Lord, I ask that tonight all of us would do some soul searching, consider how we can fall more in love with your word so we can protect our church, we can protect our our marriages, protect our kids, protect our families. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand for a brief moment of invitation. If God's going to work on your heart, feel free to come to the altar. If not, you can stay at your seat. We've got 167, Just As I Am, Brother Andy's going to sing now. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to So much for your good attention to God's word. Uh, excited for this week. Excited to have Awana get back on track there. Also, if you haven't seen the bulletin, we're resuming Man Up Club this month. Excited about that. We're teaching the boys how to use a bow and arrow. So hopefully that goes well. <laughs> we're also going to be doing some archery tag for the kids. I'm really excited about it. But Jacob Welch, our intern, is a professional at that. And we're going to be uh, learning how to do that. And as well, play archery tag without real bows and arrows. Hopefully there'll be no casualties, we hope. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much uh, for time spent in your word. Thank you so much for the soul that got saved this this afternoon. So excited that you met with us. Lord, I ask that you would be with this congregation as they uh, go to work, as they begin their regular lives. Help them, Lord, to walk in the truth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Y'all are dismissed.